Hey guys, my name is Pastor Ron. So glad that you tuned in to the podcast of Allentown Fellowship Church. Each week we're going to endeavor just to walk through the Bible book by book and then give you some truths that you can apply to your life. So welcome to the AFC podcast. Trust and pray that God's word today will be a blessing to you. All right, Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. We've been saying that the way that Mark is presenting the life of Christ, he's walking through the life, the ministry, the earthly ministry of Christ, and kind of giving us really quick snapshots of what's going on. So some of the details are being left out. If you go to some of the other accounts, you'll see longer descriptions of some of the things that Mark is leaving out. And it's not because the uh, accounts are contradicting themselves, as our critics like to say. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they are three totally different accounts, and these men are contradicting the life of Christ, the things that Christ did. The critics love to kind of put that forth, but if you understand the way this literature was written and that these are eyewitness accounts and they are each focusing on an aspect of the ministry of Christ, you can see how they not contradict one another, but they complement one another. They complement one another. It's no different if you and I were to witness something and, you know, Ben is our worship leader and so he's a keyboard player, and uh, let's say there was an accident and he and I are standing on the corner and a car goes through the window of a music shop. And then the police come in and say, what happened? And I say, well, this car just barreled right on through, went right through the red light, knocked the traffic signal down, and right through the window. And then he asks Ben what happened. Ben says, this car came right through the window and smashed up this Korg 88 key keyboard. Oh, and then the Yamaha DX7 start falling off the shelves. And then all these mic stands were just like all crushed and, and all the drum sets were like all over the place and cymbals were flying. It would sound like our stories contradict, but they don't contradict. Ben, being a musician, is focusing on the aspect that caught his attention because he knows music, he knows instruments. And because I left that out of my account does not mean that it did not happen. I was focusing on simply the car running, hitting the traffic light, and running through the window. Because I don't have any interest in music and don't really care about Yamahas or Cores or Casios. I'm not going to focus on those things, you see? So this is what's going on in the Gospels. The writers are focusing on different aspects. And Mark's main question that he's kind of putting forth as he's giving these quick narratives is the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Probably the most important question any man or woman can answer. Who do you think Jesus is? You remember C.S. Lewis said what? Either he's... A liar, 
And he certainly was not the son of God. And all the things that he said, right? He, or he was a lunatic, crazy, thinking he was the son of God. <laughs> or he was indeed Lord. He was indeed God in the flesh. And that has implications, my friend. Because if Jesus Christ is truly God in the flesh, what you and I have is a map for life, a map for understanding our purpose, our meaning, our destiny, how to deal with our trials, how to deal with our disappointments. If Jesus really was God in the flesh, kind of like we read today, then the fear of him is the beginning of all wisdom. So as we come to our account today, we're going to see Mark again giving us an account that demonstrates Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He's not just a rabbi with some great parables and some great wisdom. I love it sometimes when I talk to people and we're talking spiritual truths and they say, whoa, that's deep, man. Man, that's deep, man. That's not about being deep. It, it, it's about, do you know who Jesus is, right? And, and this account of the man with the demon has so many implications for who Jesus is and the power that Jesus has. So let's pray together, and we're going to turn to Mark 5. Father, thank you for the word of God. It is your word that changes us, that convicts us. And I pray now as we study the word together, God, that you would work on all of our hearts. We need to see you more clearly. Father, any wrong thinking in our minds, I pray that your word would wash it away. And that we would see Jesus Christ for who he is. So, Father, we commit the time to you. We pray that you would open up our spiritual eyes that we might understand. In Christ's name, amen. Mark 5, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he would, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Get the picture here of this man's life. He's captured in bondage by Satan. He's possessed. Remember last week, Jesus just finished doing what? Over in chapter 4, we saw that he calmed the storm. And remember, they were getting away from the crowd after teaching and preaching all day. And he said, let's go to the other side. And then the storm comes and he calms the storm. Well, now he's on the other side. There's no rest for him. What happens? As he comes to the other side of leaving all of this preaching and all the crowds, here comes a man possessed with demons. 
Think about this. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. It's no accident that there just so happened to be this man on the other side of the lake possessed with demons. Catch this, folks. Catch this. This is an act of God's grace. After Jesus ministered all day, preaching to the crowds, he tells the disciples, let's go to the other side. So it's nighttime, probably late in the hour. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to the other side. There's someone that needs my deliverance. And not only that, but think about this. You know the Jews kind of didn't get along with the Gentiles. The Jews were the pure ones. Gentiles were the pagans. And the Jews had all these rituals that a Jewish man had to do if he even brushed up against a Gentile. Remember, we talked about that. If you go to the marketplace and you brush up against a Gentile, you got to clean yourself. Wow. How pompous is that? So the Jewish people and the Gentiles were at odds with one another. And here's Jesus taking time to go to a Gentile inhabited community. Gezerim. And not only that, to make matters worse, this man is possessed with an unclean spirit. To the Jewish mindset, we don't want to have anything to do with him. The Jewish mindset would have looked at this Gentile man who not only is a Gentile, but has an unclean spirit, stay far away from him. And to make matters worse, Jesus is, as we're going to see, in a territory where they're raising pigs. <laughs> you say, what they got to do with anything? Oh, Jews have nothing to do with swine. That's an unclean animal. See, they were still so steeped in the Old Testament law that they couldn't see the grace of God. Remember, Peter had to learn this thing too. When a sheep came down from heaven and God said, you see the pig, you see the pork chops, you see the ribs, you see the fat back, you see the bacon, go have some. And Peter's like, no, 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 not so, Lord. I've never touched anything unholy. And what does God say to him in that vision? What I call holy, don't you call unholy. Wow. That was revolutionary. Wait, wait, you, wait, you mean, not about animals, Peter. Stop calling the Gentiles unholy. I can save them just like I saved you. But let's come back to our narrative. So here you have this man possessed in Gentile territory. This area was dominated by the Romans and in an area where they're raising pigs. Jesus, as a Jewish Messiah, as a Jewish rabbi, broke all the rules. That's what I love about Jesus. <laughs> he did everything contrary that the Pharisees would have done. You know why? Because he's a God of grace. And it's not about religion. And it's not about ethnicity. It's, not, it's about God. His grace and his mercy and the forgiveness of sins that we all need. Let's see what happens. He is tormented by these demons. They try to bound him with shackles and chains. Can you imagine that? But he will break these chains off. 
And I want you to turn your attention to verse 4 again. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched, wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. Supernatural strength because of his possession by these demons. Now watch this. No one had the strength to subdue him. You know what that word literally means? To tame him. Very interesting. To tame him. So we're about to see a narrative unroll where here's a man totally out of control under the power of Satan and no human ability could help him. They couldn't tame him. So he's being treated like an animal, living in the tombs. By the way, another thing that was not something a Jewish person would even have anything to do with you if you came in the presence of a tomb or you were even hanging around tombs, that made you unclean. This man's living in the tombs. Do you see the depravity of this man? From the perspective of the religious Jewish people. And yet Jesus. After a day's work of ministry says. Let's go to the other side. I'm going to deliver somebody. That's God's grace. That's God's grace folks. Let's see what happens. Verse 5. Night and day among the tombs. And on the mountains. He was always crying out. And cutting himself with stones. Wow. Literally hacking himself with stones. Satan is all about destruction. These demons are all about destroying this man physically. This man is not in his right mind. Now we don't know what the crying out was. Obviously probably feeling the pain. But, but this man knew he was possessed but he had no control. <laughs> and probably the, the crying out also had to do not only with the cutting of himself, but like somebody deliver me. Like I can't free myself. And look what happens. Watch how who Jesus is. That question, who is Jesus, starts to be answered by how he interacts with this man. Look what happens. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from, from afar. Here's Jesus coming. They just landed on the other side of the lake, getting out of the boat. He saw Jesus. He ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. Wow. Who's that speaking? That's the demon speaking. Here he is. He's, he's cutting himself. He's, he's crying out. And all of a sudden, the, these, these demons are tormenting this guy. Jesus is there. And the man runs over. He's being controlled by the demons at this point. And the demon recognizes Jesus Christ. Look at the question that he asked him. What have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. I adjure you by God. Do not 
torment me. Jesus, don't torment me. What does that tell you? Think about that for a minute. The demon inside the man begging Jesus after recognizing that he was the son of God, begging him, don't torment me. Now, if you read Matthew's account, Matthew, Matthew's account says this, don't torment me before the time. That little phrase is so important. It shows that Satan and his demons know a day is coming when their job is done. They will no longer be able to rule and reign freely. They will be destroyed once and for all. Satan knows that. The demons know that. And they look at Jesus and they're like, wait, Jesus? Wait, you, is, is it time? <laughs> it ain't time to destroy us yet, is it? Please don't torment me. Like, like, like the end of the age is not here yet. Like God, like, so it, it tells us that these demons in some capacity knew that there is coming a time in the future where they will be destroyed. And he's like, Jesus, what, wait, why are you here now? going on here? And look what happened. Verse 8. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So in other words, Jesus, are you here to torment me? See, Jesus, when he got off the boat, picture this, he gets off the boat, he sees the man that's possessed and Jesus, as he's getting off the boat, is looking at the man and he's saying, get out of him. Come out of him. He's saying that to the man while the man, maybe he's over there in the caves and he's screaming. And Jesus is like, come out of him. And the man looks his way, runs over to him, probably falls down and says, Jesus, what have you to do with me? Why are you here to torment me? Do you, you see what's happened? Jesus got his attention because he began to cast him out. He said, get out of him. And the demon is begging with him. Now watch the demon go into a negotiation with Jesus. <laughs> this, is a, this is a fascinating, fascinating narrative what's going on here. Verse 8. So this is Jesus. Jesus was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Look at verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? What is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. Wow. For we are many. Do you see the depth of the bondage this man is in? There's not one demon in him. There's multiple demons. A legion was usually a, a Roman group of maybe 6,000 soldiers or more. And Jesus says, what is your name? Call me Legion. There's too many of us. <laughs> we ain't got time for anybody to line up to the mic and say their name. <laughs> this man is filled with demons. Look what happens. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly. That is the demons. This, this one demon that's speaking on behalf of the thousands of demons. He begs Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. That's interesting. 
Now, again, where they are located, it is a pagan area. It's a pagan area. There's probably all types of worshiping of other gods that, that are going on. This is a heavy Gentile area. He's like, please don't send us out of here. They're probably doing their business and tormenting people and possessing people and all kinds of demonic activity going on. This is their playground right now, if you will. And you're like, oh, here comes Jesus. Oh, the son of God. Oh, no. Oh, please, please. Can we, can we please stay here? You see what's going on? Now, listen, guys, we, 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 we could do a whole series just on demonic activity, right? And, and maybe we'll do that at one time and just talk about the spiritual warfare that goes on in our lives. We don't understand all the dynamics and how all that happens. But clearly, you see here in this dialogue back and forth, these demons have territory that they are working in and destroying people's lives. But they also recognize what? Jesus is Lord. And Jesus can send them all away and do whatever he wants because he has power over them. Let's see what happens. So he begs them earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him. <laughs> Look at the request. Send us to the pigs. <laughs> Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered into the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000. Can you imagine if you're sitting here watching this? 2,000 pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Whoa, what just happened? Can you imagine if you're one of the herdsmen taking care of these swine? And you're just sitting there talking, yeah, man, how you pigs doing? Oh, I got a couple here, man. They look like they might not be healthy. And all of a sudden, and you're like, what? Whoa, whoa. And all the pigs are like, right over the cliff. Like, did we just lose 2,000 pigs? Uh-oh. <laughs> now, somebody look at this and say, that was mean. That was mean. Why did Jesus just kill all those animals? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus kill the animals? Is that what the text says? Jesus didn't kill any pigs. Jesus didn't kill any pigs. We're always so careful to blame God for things. The demons. The demons destroyed the pigs. And see, Jesus, in commanding them to come out of the man, go into the swine. Let me tell you something that that shows me very clearly. In that moment, in this time, was Jesus concerned about the animals? No, he wasn't. Why? Because a human soul is far greater than an animal. A human soul is far greater than an animal. Why? Because we as human beings are made in the image of God. Think about when Jesus was talking in Matthew 6 about not worrying, and he says, doesn't the father care for the little sparrow? Is not your life more valuable than theirs? And the answer is, of course, because you're made in the image of God. But let's keep going. So they beg, send us to the pigs. They go into the pigs. 2,000 of them down the steep bank. 14, 
The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, thousands of demons in him, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Wow. You see this theme come up all the time. What are they afraid of? They're trying to put together, like, what you're saying. Like, we know this demon-possessed man. Everybody would have known about that man. Like, don't go down that street. If you Don't turn right, because that crazy man is down there. Right? Here he is, clothed in his right mind, and they're scared. Remember what happened in our narrative before this, when Jesus calmed and said, wind, be still. Waves, be still. What happened? What was the disciples? Were they like... This is God. They were scared, weren't they? They were scared. They were afraid. Remember? And they said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see, listen, whenever humans, a human being is in the presence of God, you know what the proper response is? Fear. Reverence. But this was, I believe, in these people more of a fear. Like, you got some juju going on here, man. <laughs> I don't know how you did that. They don't understand. This is God in the flesh. Look what happens. Interesting how this turns. They come. They see the man sitting in his right mind. 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Now, you would think they would rejoice. No, but they don't. 17, and they began to beg Jesus. A lot of begging in this narrative. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Wow. Jesus, get out of here. What just happened there? They explained what happened to the the demon-possessed man and what happened to the pigs. Why do you think they said, Jesus, get out of here? They were more concerned about their livelihood and the 2,000 swine that they are now blaming Jesus for destroying. More concerned about that. And what went right over their head? A demon-possessed man was set free. They're like, get out of here, Jesus. Wow. They missed it. 18, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons, now he's begging, begged Jesus that he might be with him. Well, wouldn't you too? Oh my goodness. Possessed with thousands of demons, cutting yourself, being tormented day in and day out, no family around you, you're ostracized, you're living in the tombs, and Jesus sets you free. I want to be with you too, Jesus. Jesus, can I come with you? He recognized the freedom that Jesus gave him. And you would think that Jesus would say, this is what I'm looking for. Someone who who believes in what I can do. Come be my disciple. But Jesus doesn't do that. Look at what Jesus says. And he did not permit him, but said to this man, go home to your friends. 
and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Wow. Jesus said, no, I don't want you to come follow me to be my disciple. I want you to go and proclaim me to this dark pagan city. Go proclaim what I've done for you. Is not that the mission of us? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing, right? And here's the beautiful thing. Watch this. I love this. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. It's like 10 cities in that area, Roman-controlled territory. Watch this. What did he proclaim when he went back? How much, what's the next word? Jesus had done for him. Did you catch it? Wait a minute, back up. Jesus told him, go tell how much the Lord has done for you. Did you catch it? He went back and told how much Jesus did for him. Put it together now. Jesus is, say it, Lord. To the Jewish mind. They would have read this. Remember, Mark writing to these believers. They would have read that and said, oh, my goodness. Jesus, God in the flesh. Wow. Which is why he had the power to tell Satan, get out of them. He didn't have to do any kind of juju stuff and say rituals and drink formulas and all these things that they would have done back then in that day to try to cast out a wicked. No, he said, get out of here. Why? Because he has all authority. Because he has crushed Satan's head on the cross. It's going to happen. Satan knows it. But here we see, even before Jesus dies on that cross, authority over the demonic realm. This is powerful, guys. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Did everybody believe? No. But they were just trying to figure this out. What happened with this guy? Can you imagine if you and I lived during this time and we knew that there was this guy, we would have just called them crazy. They had a crazy old man to live over there. Listen, you hear him screaming? That's him. And you get a glimpse of him. And there's blood all over him. And clothes all ragged and, and barely hanging off of him from being thrown on the rocks and by these demons. And now that same man walks into your store and says, hey, remember me? You'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that, would, that, that would make you a little like, wait, whoa. And then you find out he's in his right mind. And you realize he's no longer possessed. He's no longer cutting himself. He's, he's in his right mind. And he says, Jesus did this. They marvel. How can this be? So guys, what can we take away from this as we close? I want you to see in this passage the great compassion of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. This demon-possessed man did not seek Jesus. Jesus sought him. Please catch that. The great compassion and grace of God. 
Jesus went to the other side to show and bring mercy to a man that was in bondage. He went to deliver a man that could do nothing for himself. Humanly, nothing was possible. They tried to at least restrain him. Why why did they try to restrain him with chains and, and fetters? Probably to try to help him not hurt himself. But he would just break him off and continue to cut himself, right? He was in bondage. There was no human power that could help this man. This is the state of mankind today, spiritually. (laughs) We're in bondage without Christ coming into our life and giving us new life. Jesus had great compassion and grace. Here's another thing. Jesus was willing to go where nobody wanted to go. Man, that hit me right between the eyes when I saw that. Gentile territory, pigs all over the place, Demon-possessed man, no no, no godly person going in that neighborhood. You're not going to catch a Pharisee in that neighborhood who thought they were the children of God. Jesus went to the darkest places to offer a message of hope, mercy, grace, forgiveness. That's my heartbeat. That's my heartbeat. I want to go where nobody else wants to go. That ought to be your heartbeat. People in bondage need to hear of God's grace and mercy. That means you got to be willing to go. You got to be willing to go. But, but, now, but watch this. Watch this. Please catch this. When Jesus went, he went in an atmosphere that was what? Full of darkness. <laughs> Full of depravity. Right? So often we, we, we want to reach people, but we don't want to go where they are. <laughs> you, you have to go where they are. You have to be where, where the bondage is, where the hopelessness is. You have to go where that is and offer mercy and peace and compassion through Christ. That's the kind of church I want Allentown Fellowship to be. I don't want to be known as a church where we just gather in here and that's it. That's why I can't wait. And there's another prayer request. You know, you guys pray. I, I think, Lord, just open up the door. I'm trying to be patient. I won't be patient, Lord. I won't be patient. But Lord, you can open up the door for us to get to Allentown. We want to move here. You can't just like up and move, okay? I, I get that. But I want to be where the people eat, where the people shop, where the people do their laundry. Where, where, right? I want to be in the midst of the people. So when you see the bondage, the addictions, when you see the hopelessness, when you see people who have no sense of direction, you can do what? Like Christ did. See, can I tell you about Christ? Can I tell you how much he loves you? Can I tell you what your greatest need is? Can I tell you how you can be free of this bondage? Which starts with being free of the spiritual bondage. Can I tell you how you can go from being an enemy of God to a child of God? And then by knowing Christ, have the resources through his word, his grace, his power, his strength to turn your life around through him. We got to be in those neighborhoods. We got to be with those people to give them that message. And then lastly, we have to understand, guys. There is a demonic world 
that is at work 24-7. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. We are wrestling with principalities in high places, the Bible says. Spiritual wickedness, darkness. Now, I'm not saying that to, 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 to creep you out. It's a reality. It's a reality. But here's how Satan tends to work in the believer's life. Not the way Hollywood displays it. But by trying to influence and tempt you away from Christ. <laughs> That's how the demonic world works. It's not about, I'm going to sit down and do my devotional and look across the coffee shop and see a guy's head spinning around. Oh, no, that's not how Satan works. That's Hollywood. The way Satan works is real subtle. The Bible says he comes as an angel of light. So have you just kind of veg in your comfy chair and watch 25 episodes of Chef or Chopped rather than get on your face and talk to him in prayer. That's how Satan works. <laughs> He'll, he'll, he'll try to just allure you and just kind of rock you to sleep spiritually. Where you spend your time, your focus on things of this world. They're not bad in and of themselves. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, God has given to man, I love this, to enjoy the fruit of his labor. We ought to enjoy the fruit of our labor. Work hard. Enjoy life. But Satan would say, and do it without God. <laughs> That's what Satan would say. Do it without God. We ought to hear the words of Christ when he says, so what is it going to profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So Satan works in the demonic realm to influence us, to tempt us, to draw us away from God. He would rather have you set up idols in your life and worship those rather than Jesus Christ. That's how the spiritual wickedness works. So guys, as we close, let's ask God to help us to see Jesus more clearly and help us to have the compassion that Christ had in a dark world and help us to be on guard for where Satan is trying to sway me away from Christ because the demonic world is always at work to get you away from Christ because he is Lord. God, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, for all of us. God, help us to run towards you, to pursue after you. Lord, to have this compassion that Jesus showed. Father, to bring the message of the gospel to people who are in bondage. God, to help them to know and understand and hear that this Jesus of Nazareth, not just a rabbi, not just a teacher, is Lord. God, I pray that you will work in all of our hearts. Give us the wisdom to make the changes we need to make. Give us the grace and give us your power to change the focuses that we need to change in our own lives so that indeed we can proclaim Christ and love Christ more as individuals. God, thank you for the word today. Pray for your blessing as we go, where we live, and step with the Spirit, your Holy Spirit, throughout the week. In Christ's name, amen. Amen, folks.
Well, thank you so much for uh, coming out today, and I hope and pray that you've been... Uh, Thanks for tuning in to the AFC Podcast. I hope and pray today's word has challenged you to align your thinking with God's word. If you would like to come visit us for one of our services, we would love to have you. We are located at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We are in what is called the Daybreak Room, which is housed in the Dubs Community Center. 457 West Allen Street, Allentown, PA. Our services start at 1 p.m. So if you're looking for a church that sticks to the word of God, come on out and join us. We'd love to see you. Till next time, God bless.